0: I'm Dan Kendall, and you're listening to Digital Health Today, Asia-Pacific Edition. Did you know that this is just one of the many shows that we create? In fact, from original podcasts like this one, to patient and professional educational content, to digital marketing, and even podcast advertising, we do a lot more than simply host conversations. We're Mission Based Media. Visit our website to learn more at missionbasedmedia.com.
1: Welcome to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition, your go-to podcast to learn about the transformation of healthcare in a region with over 4.5 billion people across more than 40 countries. I'm your host, Tony Estrella. Today, I'd like to introduce Janice Chiao. Janice is a passionate advocate for enabling the aging to maintain independence and live out the second half of their lives with dignity and high standards of health. Her work includes starting and running Aging Asia and Aspire 55, creating an ecosystem of partners including digital health and speaking frequently on the opportunities for the business of aging and the impact on other industries including real estate and consumer technology Janice welcome to the show Hi Tony thanks for having me today Hi Janice So let's start with the topic of aging you know you have an organization called Aging Asia tell us a bit more about your background why did you start this group
0: Well I think any story about starting Aging Asia has to begin from my relationship with older people in my own family and very specifically my grandmother. So when I first started Aging Asia, I looked at people like grandma and I looked at my parents and then I looked at myself and I thought, how am I going to age in future? How's my parents going to age? And I looked at the thoughts, the values, the expectations. And I saw that different generations had different expectations of how they would want to age. And I felt like, Asia wasn't ready for people like my parents and in future like myself to age. There weren't enough products and services that could help us to age in the manner that we envisioned, which would be to be very independent, to maybe not live with the children, to engage in activities and travel and, you know, to live well on our own. And when I look back at grandma's generation... Her generation is that generation where we think of Asia as traditional values of filial piety where they come into play. And that means that grandma expected as she grew older, we would give her all the support required. And in Asia, that often means grandma would live with us in our house. We would look after her. We might hire a helper to tend to her additional needs as she got older. And we would virtually do everything for her as she got frail. And that means the housework, the cooking, her activities, we would tend to all her needs. And she would just be supported by us. This felt to me like a opportunity to look at how these differences would reflect on the business sector. And that's how Aging Asia came about. Because as traditional notions of filial piety change, children will no longer live with their parents. Parents will be more empowered. They would be more active. So they no longer would need all these things that used to look upon as a burden for children to look after their parents, this would all fall apart. And this comes a tremendous business opportunity because what are the opportunities out there for people to live in good health, to be independent and to be dignified? And this goes across technologies, housing models, service innovations. So to me, this translation of different generations' expectations of ageing, represented this growing social and economic need for change. And Aging Asia looks precisely at this. We look at globally, what are the different elder care models, products, innovations out there, and how can we bring that all to Asia? So that was the story of how Aging Asia first came about.
1: And so the organization is based in Singapore, but you have a global focus. And you know, over the last few years, we've gotten to know each other based off of the events that you've run, that you bring together, an ecosystem and community. And actually the headline for how you describe Aging Asia is focused on its alliance on the business of aging. So tell us a little bit more, when you got this organization started and you looked at aging as a challenge and going back to your grandmother's story, tried to figure out what are the support structures necessary, where did you start? Who are the stakeholders that you felt were most important to you?
0: Honestly, I felt that from the beginning, I wanted to get the financial sector involved. So that was my first go-to financial services, the banks. And then I realized that there was a disconnect between what the banks thought aging was and what the rest of the aging organizations felt should be. A lot of aging organizations increasingly were beginning to see aging as a possible economic opportunity for all the different sectors. A lot of the banks felt that aging was CSR. And literally, I got put through to CSR departments whenever I spoke to the banking sector about aging. And that was the early beginnings. But today, We are now seeing that they see ageing as a social economic opportunity. There is socially responsible investments in ageing, but there is also direct investments in the silver economy. Because as people live longer and as longevity levels increase, we then saw an an involvement of how the banks started to see ageing differently, how a lot of companies started to see ageing differently. Ageing was a strategy that they could expand their businesses and ageing Overall, in society, if you look at all the media attention on it, it gradually moved from being a social challenge towards being a social opportunity.
1: So let's go back to then the definition. If there's misaligned definitions between various stakeholders, you also mentioned the term silver economy. And if we look at the country dynamics, right? So Japan, we talk about centenarians and developing markets. The average age has been rising as wealth has been increasing. What's your definition of aging? Well, my definition of ageing,
0: it's more like a journey in which as we travel through this journey, our needs will change and it requires enablement rather than just pure delivery of service. So my definition of ageing is a process that as we get older, we need more opportunities for independent living.
1: Great. I think that helps as a broad structure to think about the progression of you know, where we are today as adults and where we will become as we move into this silver generation, presumably because of the color of our hair is defining silver.
0: I, I think precisely that's it. You see, when you think about aging, traditionally, it's thought of like gray hair, frailty, and getting weak. And that conversation is now changing into empowerment, independence,
1: and getting stronger as we age. So as you've locked at various uh, parties that are really adopting and believe in the same enablement approach. Who are you working with today in looking at aging and in which countries are you finding that you're getting alignment to say, that's the vision of what an aging business should look like. This is how we're empowering people. Can you give us a couple of examples?
0: When we think about aging in Asia, we always like to look at the super aging countries and more specifically, we always look towards Japan for what are the models they're doing. Not just in terms of the private sector, but also in terms of government policies. And one example I always like to mention is that in Japan, Ministry of Health works closely with Ministry of Economy and Trade in that ageing space. And it's a collaborative approach. Right down to the extent that any ageing event would be attended by both ministries. And I think that's a very good example of a policy level approach. When we look at companies in Japan, we do know that because of the long-term care insurance policies in Japan, the private sector has had a leg up in that sector as they have been investing in the sector very heavily because of the continued support of the long-term care insurance policy. But if we look at companies on the company level, then we look at technology innovations, robotics, assisted living products, uh, mobility products. There's a lot of innovations coming out of Japan and also coming out of Taiwan as well as Korea that's leading in that space. If we look at opportunities for Asia to look at, then I think one thing that has to start from is who is going to pay for all these products and services. And unless we can develop that, we are purely looking at that middle income to higher income class that will be able to pay for all these wonderful products and innovations that's going to come out into the market. Hence, I think that for the sector to really grow to the next level, we need a combination of government
1: policies as well as private spending. And the ability to pay for solutions and innovation, I think, are nice to have when as we look at the future and how we're creating impact. As someone who's worked in this space of disruptive change, I always bring things back to what's the consumer problem or the individual problem we're trying to solve? So... Can you categorize for us, what are some of the bigger problem areas that you look at and you've seen organizations, government, and private sector looking at as the core problems of aging that need to be solved?
0: I think different people wear different lens. Let me put on the lens of a grandchild that was a caregiver to my grandmother and use that example towards a specific area. Let's say, how can we help older people to age in a more dignified manner? And I think everything's okay throughout most of the aging journey until the last 12 months of someone's life. And that's where a lot of challenges to maintain the dignity of that older person comes in. How do they shower? How do they toilet? How do they cope with not being able to do things on their own? That emotional weakness that they feel to have someone else take over their care needs and doing things for them. So when we look at dignified aging, then I can therefore see what are the products out there that can help with this process? In Japan, they've developed products that help a person with toileting, even if they have a stroke and they are bedridden. There are technology products available that can help them with that versus wearing a diaper. Wearing a diaper, although the, in Japan, the adult's diaper market surpasses the children's diaper market, wearing a diaper is, is not like an aspirational aging goal. You don't want that. You hope that you never see that situation. But if we just look at wearing of diapers, then we can also look at how can we delay the situation where older people have incontinence challenges. And that in itself is a market opportunity. And that brings us over to healthy aging. Are there programs, exercises possible that help a person to maintain their pelvic muscles so that as they age, the chances of them having to wear diapers or experience toileting issues is reduced? So in every opportunity that I see, it's trying to solve a challenge. So that challenge of dignified aging then brings on challenges, opportunities of healthy aging and keeping you stronger so that you don't have to face this challenge.
1: And so that's the mindset of your caregiver looking at how to help people and then what the products come about. What about the mindset of the individual themselves who's getting older? You run a group called Aspire 55, Tell us a little bit more about what have you learned in speaking to and interacting with people who are progressing in their age? How do they think of their lives and what they want to aspire to?
0: So Aspire 55 is the first virtual retirement village. It's essentially a social health community that tries to change the lifestyle habits of sedentary older people. So most of the people that join the village activities are looking for a way that they can get into a regular regime of strength training exercises but what we've learned from the people coming in is overcoming some of the initial preconceptions we had about this population so we always thought that as people age um, there's a lot of preconceptions for example when older people age they will become a retiree and a retiree means that they want to engage in volunteerism or they want to do gardening these are some things that we think older people want but that wasn't true what we saw was that every older person is different and everyone has different expectations of how they want to age. It's different from the children's market where you can divide children into certain age groups and they will have different development needs. Whereas for an ageing population, somebody who's of the age of 60 to 70 and 70 to 80, you can't really classify them into different development traits because they're all different. An 80-year-old could be a lot fitter than a 60-year-old. We can see a 90-year-old walking well on their own and a 65-year-old using a walking cane for support. So that's very, very different. You know, some of the things that we thought, perhaps everyone likes being part of a community and they like the conversations and making new friends, but that wasn't true. 90% of the people that came through said that, I don't necessarily need to make new friends. I have my own support community already. But because they accidentally have some like-minded conversations and it's not deliberate, they end up do making new friends in the community, but it's not forced. You can't really say that we want you to do this, 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 this. You have to let things happen in a very organic manner. And you have to let the social communities form because they have like-minded conversations and not just because you put there, we have these interest groups, please join the interest groups. It's not that easy to say that we would have one service for all seniors because that wasn't going to happen. So Aspire 55, you can look at it as an experimental model for aging in place solutions. We wanted to allow older people to age in their own homes so that aging would be affordable and they would be most comfortable in the environment that they're most familiar with. And when they come for activities or in the clubhouse where they do the strength training exercises, they would then make some accidental connections because of the small groups that they have. I think just to summarize, one thing that spy 55 does in this very big aging world is to divide everyone into smaller communities and to divide them into small groups that resemble your own family. So us Fifty Five wanted to be like the second family to many seniors who were living at home, but there are a lot of females because of feminization of aging. There's also a lot of singles. Changing lifestyle habits means that people are married later or choosing to be single or choosing not to have children. This represents globalization as well because seniors used to age with five to six children. And today, seniors are aging with no children or maybe one or two that are not even living with them. They are living overseas. So they are going to be a group that knows that they have to be very, very independent, but how will they extend their healthy life years? So that's a big question for them.
1: Yeah, and the comment you made about having to connect and having it be organic as opposed to being forced, I think is a really helpful insight because putting seniors together for the sake of wanting to help isn't necessarily the answer. They don't necessarily view themselves as seniors or needing help. And with the rise in, of chronic disease and how people's health is starting to become more affected, how do you link those together? How do you link people who want their independence, want to be healthy, but now may need a little bit more attention because they're getting sick and also don't necessarily want someone to just be directive towards them. What are the programs you're seeing that are coming out that help bridge those three independent thoughts into one cohesive way to help uh, the aging?
0: I think that generally what we're seeing currently are still programs that cater more to the frail, to those with more clinical support needs like dementia from moderate to severe dementia. What we're seeing is a new generation of senior, I would call them the more empowered older person. And they are better educated, well-traveled. And they actually look to a lot of their own resources to plan their aging process. And, And very, very different. They expect to plan their own aging journey. Whereas my grandma's generation expected us to plan her aging journey. So the new generation of older people, they want to avoid being a burden on the people around them. Whoever their caregivers are, maybe a niece, a daughter, a grandchild, they want to avoid that burden. Yeah, emotionally, financially, they want to overcome all this because they've seen how their parents age and their grandparents age and they don't want themselves to age in that manner. So I think because of that, they are leading that change and they are hungry for more information and they are hungry for more products that help them not to be a burden. If you turn it around positively, they want to be independent and they're open to the use of technologies which I think is very positive. And what COVID has shown us is that it's made that curve even faster, that adoption curve. Because previously there was more resistance, but today we're finding that because of COVID, just something simple like telemedicine, they're quite comfortable with seeing their doctors online now to treat clinical ailments. And what that translates to for chronic disease self-management is that they will be comfortable seeing their doctors on a quarterly basis to get their medications via telemedicine instead of having to traditionally go into a clinic and be maybe even exposed to viruses. They don't mind that they can do it in the comfort of their homes. These are a lot of changes. I think it's a transformation for how we're going to see the entire industry evolve in the next 12 to 18 months to catch up on this curve that older people are not a group that we need to look after, but older people are a group that they want to look after themselves. So I think the knowledge that they are acquiring now they're trying to be their own mini healthcare professionals. And I think now is a time where we can equip these older people with that knowledge because they can, they're able to.
1: Yeah. And you made a comment and one of the things I read about you, which is that your view is that aging is not one homogenous market. It's an ecosystem of different types of businesses. And you know, we talked earlier about the role of innovation and you just made a comment as well about how the aging are more open to technology. So, When you think about the various markets, do you have a categorization to say, here's two or three big categories within this broader aging category? Definitely. I think in this whole ecosystem, we've narrowed it down
0: to a couple of big picture categories that would have big market potentials. First is looking at dementia. Dementia, we look upon usually in a more clinical way, the interventions and how to look after them when they have dementia. But I think about it more broadly is what is the business of dementia? And in this area, a couple of things we can look at is how do we improve care? And how do we enable daily living? Not just look after them in a place, but to ensure that they can look after themselves and to ensure that we can help them to slow down those conditions. So I will classify them into three areas. One is the business of pre-dementia the business of mild to moderate dementia. And then the third one is the business of severe dementia. So within each broad category, we can further segment it. So for example, if we look at the business of pre-dementia, that looks at that general population that's aging in good health. How do we ensure that they continue to have this good health and to maintain and not fall into the next category and experience a decline? So in this area, that particular business points to creating Senior health and wellness clubs, health monitoring technologies, specialist clinics for preventive healthcare, and chronic disease management. Then we look at the second area, which is the business of mild to moderate dementia. And this is for those who already have some signs of slowing of their cognitive abilities. But what we want to do is to increase the social interactions and connections and to have a support network for them. So in this particular area, creating those social support networks, the regular activities, as well as home monitoring technologies to make sure that they are safe and they don't fall down or suffer a further decline. This would be another area. And the last one would be for those with very severe dementia that prevents them from living at home. How are we creating these new housing and care models for those with severe dementia needs to have a safe and supportive living environment? Globally, we all know about the Hogewijk, which is this model in Amsterdam which builds a lot of activities and services within this community that is safe for someone with severe dementia to be able to wander freely and engage in activities they enjoy from supermarketing or to enjoying arts and crafts or cooking or singing. But they don't feel that they are being cared for, they feel like they are taking part. So the use of daily activities is very important. In future, I think the trend of daily activities, there's a lot of thinking that goes into putting together daily activities for an older person so they feel like they are engaged but not being told what to do. So that's one example of that big category of dementia. And then what about the other categories beyond dementia? Mm. Then the second one that's most important, I think, would be the business of care technology. And this relates to assistive, operational, companion robotic technology, And just to touch on this, because the care sector has always been very manpower intensive and it's always about how much personal care can I look after an older person, there is also a fair level of resistance from the care sector workforce about whether or not technologies will replace them. Will robots replace care workers in future? Will the senior be faced with seeing a robot look after them for 24 hours a day? You know, that's fairly impersonal and many care workers come into the sector because they have that heart for the sector and they want to deliver that person-centred approach to care. So I think when we look at the business of care technologies, it's very important also to share with the care sector that these robots are meant to complement and to help the care force. So by having the robots do the operations work and the assistive work and the heavy lifting, the staff will then have more time towards care and social engagement for the seniors. If you have robots that can look after the infection control management, robots that can do the cleaning, robots that can do the heavy lifting, reduce some time when you are transferring clients into bathtubs or transferring them into beds, then there's more time to say, sit down and have a chat with that older person, which is what that human to human interaction is most about. So when we look at business of care technologies, I think we can look at four very broad areas rising demand for cloud communication, telehealth, remote business, remote clinical functions. The second is the demand for assistive technologies to support the care workers with client monitoring. And the third is the demand for smart home intelligent technologies to help them live with greater independence. And then we look at the demand for companion robots, so that in between when staff are a little bit more busy or there's some quiet time, These care companion robots can do various things. For example, call up their loved ones on video conferencing calls or even engage in some exercises or virtual reality, bring them to different places.
1: So these are some broad areas. And with a market where we're looking at the number of people going to 425 million globally by 2050 for being aged 80 and over, the two broad areas you described could be enormous opportunities for the end of the day, helping individuals, but also really creating a broad industry where stakeholders can have real sustainable and scalable business models as well.
0: Definitely. I mean, this is a growing sector, but I think my problem with aging is that people see aging as potentially one industry class and in the overall ecosystem, but actually aging overlaps every sector and every industry. So that impacts your transportation industry or communications, your travel and tourism, food, everything.
1: Yeah, and I think more to come on that one when we uh, have a follow-up conversation, because I think we can go in so many different directions with this subject. We're coming up on time here. I have one more question for you, which is you know, there's so many paths you said we could go into. In this pandemic, we've seen a lot of positive change in terms of adoption of technology in the aging. Do you have any other predictions as to the next 12 months, next 24 months, What will become another positive outcome of this pandemic relative to the opportunities for enabling the aging to live better lives?
0: I think immediately after, in relation to the pandemic and from the observations we've seen globally, is that we're going to see the business of senior living and care communities rise. Why? Because senior living and care communities essentially mean that seniors are being put in groups, that can be bubble protected in the event of a pandemic, but still offer them that social interaction and resemblance of normality within that secured community. And it allows for efficient delivery of services within these smaller communities. And I'm not saying large, 2,000 seniors gathered in one place, but I'm seeing the rise of communities that provide support for maybe 200 to 300 seniors. And this can take place in the form of retirement villages, um, nursing homes, or even the virtual retirement village communities in which you group people within one housing complex. So the need for more of these bubble living environments where seniors can be safely grouped into small communities will drive the real estate sector to think a little bit differently now. As they are building the houses, are the houses really suitable for the aging population demographics, so that as people age, it's an efficient way and they don't need to keep moving. I'm looking for that live apartments where you move in at 60 and you never have to move out. And the service providers come in to deliver the services efficiently. I think that could be one of the next stages of resulting from this pandemic. And it's a model that's not about just saying that all seniors move into this community and they'll be isolated. But it's more of seniors moving to this community and they will be protected. They will be given a support and they will be able to age in a better manner than just living sporadically across the island.
1: And to your point earlier, finding like-minded people who have shared interests to improve the quality of their life. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. If our audience would like to get in touch with you, are you on LinkedIn or is there any other resource that they can use to get a hold of you?
0: Uh, sure, they can find me on LinkedIn or they can look for Aging Asia on LinkedIn or um, Aspire 55. Um, we have various channels available, so just Google us and uh, you'll be able to find a way to connect with us or they can simply drop us an email.
1: Okay, great. Well, we'll put links to all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much for all your time, Janice. I appreciate this conversation. I look forward to speaking with you again. I think we'll have a conversation on dementia sometime in the future, given what you described and how complex that is challenges as well as we look at uh, countries like China and Japan but more to come thank you again thank you very much Tony and that's a wrap on this episode as I mentioned the show notes contain links for reaching Janice and all her organizations it also includes a link for a report which helps provide more details on the insights Janice gave to us today it's the fourth Asia-Pacific silver economy business opportunities report published by Aging Asia before I go here's how you our audience can support us please share this podcast with others and if you subscribe, you'll get updates on new episodes and other content. Through my website, www.toniestreya.com, you can learn more about my writing and links to reach me on Clubhouse, Twitter, WeChat, and LinkedIn. And finally, please visit our website at digitalhealthtoday.com to hear other episodes from our podcasting team. This show was researched and written by Taliosa and produced along with Mission Based Media. The sound and music was by Ivan Jurich, and until next time, I'm Tony Australia and thank you for listening.
0: Hey, Dan Kendall here, thanks for tuning in to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. This episode may be over, but there's plenty more where this came from. Just visit our website to find other great shows featuring digital health leaders and innovators. Find us at digitalhealthtoday.com that's digitalhealthtoday.com.